This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stunevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Let's learn a little bit more about what we got from the Fed. Joining us, Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News. She's here uh, in our New York City bureau, along with Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News, on the remote access from New Jersey. So, Kathleen, I feel like steady she goes. Uh, We got pretty much what we expected from the Fed. What we expected, and that's going to be very reassuring to the markets, because there has been, uh, been comments made in the last, say, two or three months by a handful of Fed officials that, depending on the economy, they could see the Fed starting to taper its bond purchases in the second half of this year. So what they said today, I I think, uh, let me grab another headline here that is very important. The Fed repeats in its policy statement that its buys, its, its bond buys, will continue until, quote, substantial further progress, and I'll add to that headline, has been made. Because this is language they've added recently to underscore that they want to see not just the, the moderating uh, economy and job market they mentioned, which, we, which you were just reading from the headlines. Mm-hmm. They want to see not just inflation starting to move higher. They want to see inflation at 2% and above. They want to see a lot better uh, job growth. They want to see claims coming down. And Kathleen, they're willing to let it run a little bit of hot. We've heard this a lot from Jay Powell and company. That because they're willing, you, they want to see and make sure that the economy gets back on a firm footing. Well, two things here. Number one, you, you got to let it run hot, I think, is the idea to ever even have a, a chance in, in you know where to get uh, inflation above 2%. H-E double toothpicks? Is that there what you go, baby. Okay. And then the second <laughs> thing is, you know, something they even added. It's a small thing, but it means a lot, I think. When they said that the economy's path will depend significantly. They said not just on the coronavirus itself, but also on progress with inoculations. That's another word for vaccinations, right? So they're very hopeful, as many people are, that the vaccine rollout will go quickly. When I spoke to Loretta Mester, who's president of the Kansas City Fed, a couple, excuse me, Cleveland Fed. Sorry, Loretta. Sorry, Esther. Hey, keep um, it straight th- there, There you Kathleen go. Hayes. I know. Two powerful women there. Don't <laughs> want to get their Fed banks mixed up. But um, she said she thinks by the third quarter that we'll have, you know, not full vaccination, but, but so much of the population will have it that that's when we're going to start seeing a really strong rebound to the economy. At the press conference with Jay Powell, that's what we're going to be listening for. And I think one more interesting thing I've been thinking about the last couple of days, if we start seeing that strong rebound and there's all this like another maybe $2 trillion of uh, stimulus being debated. You know, one of the people you have in the middle here is Janet Yellen. And she has said right now, mm-hmm. you got to act big, you got to act now. But I think this is a very interesting question that Republicans will probably raise. Look, if we're getting ready for a big reround, do we really need to spend that much now? I hope that's another question that Jay Powell gets asked today. Uh, Dave Wilson, come on in here. Stocks editor at Bloomberg News joining us on the remote from New Jersey. Um, what are you seeing in the equity markets as far as reaction to the Fed decision? I mean, energy still higher uh, in every other S&P sector lower. Basically, a lack of reaction, and maybe that's not a surprise because you've got sort of two overarching stories at work beyond what the Fed is doing. One is what's happening in terms of earnings, investors looking at the results and not so much focusing on the past quarter, but on the outlook. 
and not liking what they're seeing for the most part. I mean, uh, you consider uh, a company like Anthem and health insurance down more than 6%, Starbucks down more than 6%. Uh, you look at the uh, semiconductor companies, concerned that they may have supply issues down the line. So you see declines in advanced micro devices and Texas instruments. There are a lot of stories like that. And then there is what you might call the Reddit market, where shares just the take Reddit off. The Reddit revolution. I'm kind of loving that. Well, whether Loving it's a revolution it meaning I'm or not, interested. we yeah. shall see. Correct. But in any case, I mean, we're seeing shares just take off again. GameStop's more than doubled. AMC Entertainment, the movie house uh, owner, and the uh, Expressia power retailer is more than tripled. And you know what else has? What? My stock of the day, which I'll be talking about Ooh, in about two hours. Nice <laughs> tease there. Deep tease. There. I know exactly. You know, I it's I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Dave. I'm ready for it. Um, Dave, I I, I got to get you just to, to talk more about this because, as I mentioned, this has been like dominating Twitter, dominating our show throughout the day today. Um, how does it end? <laughs> you know, that's a, a very good question. <laughs> Which side and, do you want to be on yeah. when it ends? Yeah, I mean, because. You see it today to some extent. I'm just taking a quick look at Pitney Bowes because those shares had run up 81% yeah. yesterday. Uh, somebody out on the uh, financial website Seeking Alpha was comparing the maker of postage meters to GameStop. Well, today the shares are down 26%. So, you know, I mean, they've given back a whole lot of what they made yesterday. That's just and big you, you Somebody's making presume, money on all that volatility. Oh, yeah. And you're going to have to presume that at some point yeah. uh, you're going to see this with a whole lot of other shares. I was just going to point out that uh, the former SEC chairman, Arthur Levitt, a member of our mm -hmm. board here at Bloomberg LP, uh, has a commentary out today. History has a warning for GameStop traders. Mm. So, you know, look out for the Securities and Exchange Commission. That's something uh, that will definitely be worth uh, watching for. Well, yeah, go, go ahead, Carol. No, I was wondering what Arthur was. I'm assuming our team had, had brought it up with Arthur because I was curious what he had to think, you know, what he what he was thinking in terms of regulatory. And I'll say that we did just hear minutes ago in the White House press briefing room, the Biden team is, quote, monitoring the situation when it comes to GameStop. Right. Exactly. And I saw that coming in. Right. Right. It's reached. I tweeted this has reached the White House press briefing room. It has. Yeah, I mean, Dave, and I know we're supposed to be talking about the Fed, but it, I do feel like in terms of the equity markets, I mean, this is what people are watching because it's not just one or two. It feels like it's picking up a lot more momentum and spreading out to a lot more names here. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. I mean, you, you can just go to a list, if you can pull yeah. one together, of companies, say, in the Russell 3000 index, a pretty broad gauge of U.S. stocks, uh, that uh, had the biggest short positions relative to their float. In other words, the most shares borrowed and sold relative to the number available for trading. And you just look at them from you know, right. across their board, they're higher. Got it. Got it. Hey, Kathleen, uh, save 40 seconds for you here. Already our live blog on the Fed meeting today and the upcoming Fed press conference. Democratic lawmakers will no doubt cite the Fed's new language about the weakening of the economic right. recovery and, I, and pushing for the full one. Certainly, as I said, I think that this plan. is definitely going to enter into conversations around this uh, need for money. The, the Democrats are already, some of them, acknowledging that maybe it shouldn't be sending $1,400 checks to everybody. Maybe this could be more targeted. I want to quickly throw in something. In the last two days, uh, in China, PBOC said they're not going to remove stimulus prematurely. 
But they also, uh, Yi Gong, the head of PBOC, says, but we're watching debt risk closely. A, a, a former economic advisor to the PBOC warns, warns of equity bubbles, asset bubbles, I should say. They had a huge sell-off in stocks, a big jump in bond yields. Their overnight repo rate jumped. Bond markets around the world are very nervous about this whole question of yeah. central bank tapering. Yep. I think GameStop is an amazing story today. Yep. I've been on watching all and listening to all this coverage. At the same time, I think when you step back for some of these big market moves, right. this is something that the Fed reassured the markets on today. Let's see what Jay Powell says yeah. in about what? An hour. All right, got half it. an hour, actually. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> just about 20 minutes. All right, let's, guys, thank you so much. Kathleen, Dave, thank you so much. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Let's get some analysis from Frances Donald. She's Global Chief Economist, Head of Macro Strategy over at Manulife Investment Management. She's with us on the phone from Toronto. Ira Jersey with us as well, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence on the phone in New Jersey. Frances, I'm going to start with you. Uh, we got pretty much what we expected. What's important here, though, in your view? Well, the race, of course, when the Fed statements come out is to do that comparison, this one versus last one. And they have this mark-to-market, yes, the economy, the pace of the recovery has moderated. They have to say this, the data has been worse. What's really fascinating to me is that in the past, they have told us that the path of the economy will depend on the course of the virus. But they have added in this little sentence, which now says, including progress on vaccination. Mm -hmm. Now, that kind of seems obvious, but there's another central bank that did that last week, the Bank of Canada. And what it appears to me is happening is that central banks are giving themselves an off-ramp if they need it. They're giving themselves the caveat that if vaccinations are delayed, it will give them an excuse to perhaps appear maybe less like they want to taper, give them that ability to be more dovish. It also means we are all now going to become obsessed even more than we are with vaccination data I suspect that becomes the data du jour for the rest of the month and into the next one. Like we could be any more obsessed, because I know Tim and I are incredibly obsessed. Ira, come on in on here. Um, you just heard what Francis, her takeaway. Um, do you concur, and, and what jumps out for you? Yeah, I mean, the statement the last couple of meetings, quite frankly, has been pretty dull affair, generally <laughs> speaking. It's really the press yeah. conference that has has generated some of the fireworks and market movements. So I, I think that, you know, Jay Powell being asked, uh, you know, maybe to clarify things on, you know, what is what did he mean by it's not time to think about thinking about uh, raising rates? Like, what would change that? Uh, what would what, what's the outlook on inflation with inflation expectations above two percent in uh, some market uh, measures? Although, in my view, a lot of those market measures are being manipulated a little bit by the Fed's action of buying a lot of the assets uh, that underlie them. So, so, so I think I think the press conference could see additional market moves i would be shocked if he wasn't asked about some of the craziness going on in uh, you know gamestop and those names too um he won't answer them i think except to say that you know the regulators will look into it the fcc is the regulator of record for that you know that kind of thing but nonetheless he's going to be asked and and you know some of the comments that he makes could uh, move the rates markets quite a lot if if he suggests that you know if vaccinations go really well that they could be hiking next year which you know, it's not our base case scenario, but it's certainly something that the market's going to look out for. Yeah, Ira, Ira I want to stick on that because, I, as you know, I'm absolutely obsessed with this GameStop story. I mean, what questions would you ask uh, ask the Fed chair if, uh, about this if you could? 
Well, it, well, if I could, I would ask him about that inflation story. Like, the, uh, how much stock does the Fed put into mm. uh, the tips market and what the tips market's showing about inflation? Because, you know, the, the Fed has always talked about, you know, very weak wages and the employment situation the way it is, that it's not likely to see an inflationary impulse. But that's not what the market's... Uh, are pricing at the moment, and of course, you know how much of that is being manipulated by uh, by the Fed's massive purchases of the tips market. We have to appreciate the, the, the Fed used to own around eight percent of the tips market back in February of last year, um, and now they own twenty two percent of the market. So you'd think that they're having some impact on the pricing there. All right, Francis, come on in on it. What would be kind of some of the questions you want to ask? And I'm curious if you're as interested too in this GameStop uh, trade that we've been kind of all obsessed with. Yeah, of course. I mean, you come in, you see moves like this. How could you not be obsessed with it? But then let's take a step back. What's really going to change the outlook for the market? It's when is the Fed going to hike rates? Mm-hmm. Market now pricing in for 2023. What I find so fascinating is I, like everybody else, am obsessed with inflation. We spend a huge amount of time looking at that. But the Fed has a dual mandate. And while it is clear that inflation is going to spike up and then probably end up around 2%, the employment mandate is doing terribly. We've had two very bad weeks of jobless claims. We had a negative number on non-farm payrolls in December. And sure, maybe a huge amount of people will be rehired, but we have 10 million Americans that need to be rehired. And I'm struggling to see why the Fed is not emphasizing the employment side of their mandate more. I'd want to ask him, why are you so nonchalant about this? Or are we just misinterpreting your views? I think that's a really part of the story. The market just does not buy that the Fed is equally weighting both sides of its mandate. And that's really peculiar because with average inflation targeting, the market should be understanding this. And we're just not there yet. Ira, I also do wonder, you know, it's, an, it's going to be an interesting environment because you've got uh, Fed Chief Jay Powell, you've got the incoming Treasury Secretary, a former Fed Chief, Janet Yellen. And I do wonder about that relationship, that understanding and what that might mean in terms of smart monetary policy or policy that's needed by the economy? Well, I, I think that Janet Yellen, having been at the Fed, you know, and, and been a colleague of, of Jay Powell's, I, I think that she'll try to be somewhat hands-off. I would be surprised if some people at the Fed didn't ask her maybe for her advice or whatever. But, but, but I think she understands that an independent central bank is very important. And, uh, you know, unlike some of the rhetoric that came out of the Trump White House, I think that the Biden White House will be a little bit more hands-off when it comes to things like monetary policy. But, yeah, you know, after, uh, after the, um, the, the Dodd-Frank regulations were passed 10 years ago or so, um, you know, the, the, the Treasury Secretary now has a lot of power and control in uh, what the Fed can do in terms of emergency measures. So we have to remember that, that by design, Congress gave uh, the Treasury Secretary quite a bit of, uh, of power over the Fed. Um, you know, not, a, not monetary policy, but those special things like the Main Street facility and some of the, uh, the corporate bond buying program, for example, and things like that have to be approved by the Treasury Secretary. So, so I think by design, there has to be at least a cordial relationship between the White House and the Treasury, excuse me, between the uh, Treasury Department and the Fed. Um, otherwise, you know, in another crisis, it won't work. Francis, I, I, I wonder what we'll hear from Jay Powell in terms of his message for lawmakers. In the past few months, we've really heard him say, hey, we've done what we can do from the perspective of monetary policy. Now that there is a new Congress in session, now there is a new president, what is the message that you think he's going to have for lawmakers to try to compel them to act on fiscal stimulus? 
Well, he'll probably get questions about how much of this fiscal are you incorporating. Usually the Fed likes to see it actually delivered before it's incorporated into their comments. But we're going to hear the same thing we hear from all central bankers, which is please more fiscal. What I'd like to hear is whether Jay Powell can make some sort of comment about regulation that helps to you know, prevent bubbles from developing or more focus on some of the other areas the central bank has been focused on climate change, inequalities, housing. I mean, the things the Fed is looking at are really expanding beyond its inflation and employment. It would be good to get a sense of how he sees the central bank's role on those topics, would have, which has traditionally been something more at play in Washington. Right, and certainly something we've heard about from President Biden a lot this week. And I remember you and I on the last Fed meeting when we heard Jay Powell talk about climate change. That was one of the things that stood out for us. I want to pose a question to both of you. Uh, and Ira, maybe take it first. I mean, I am curious what line Jay Powell will walk when it comes to that $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Do you think that we might hear words from his mouth that are going to be more supportive of a bigger stimulus package versus a smaller one? Because you know the press community, that's going to be a lot of the questioning. And I know, I think, Francis, you brought it up, and I know some of our other team, uh, Kathleen Hayes, saying that's what I want to know. Yeah, I, I think he's going to say what he said before Congress a couple um, a month or so ago, and that's that this, you know the fiscal stimulus is up to you, but it needs to be targeted. It should be, um, it should make sure that it, it affects the sectors of the economy that are hardest hit. Um, so he'll, I think he'll continue to with that rhetoric. Um, th- there is a there is a limit, I think, to what he's able to say, but he'll say it has to be big enough to spur the economy. It's not his job to. Um, you know, to give an, a precise number, um, but then I'll say, you know, maybe he'll say like bigger is better. Like that's not out of the question uh, that he says something like that. I don't think he will, um, but he might hint at that maybe in, in words. And I'm sure he's, uh, you know, tried to wordsmith the last couple of hours thinking about how to answer the many questions that he's likely to get on uh, stimulus. Yeah. Francis, what about your thoughts on that? You know, I'm I'm going to this press conference thinking about one thing and one thing only, and I know it wasn't your question, but I'm just obsessed with this, which is how the heck is Powell going to get people to stop talking about tapering? It hasn't come up. He clearly doesn't want us talking about tapering, so maybe even bringing it up isn't a good idea, but he has to get this market to stop thinking about it, and one of the only ways he can do that is really come down super hard during the press conference. So, you know, there's going to be questions about fiscal, there's going to be questions about GameStop, maybe put a different way. But what I really need to hear from him is, are you happy that Bostic raised tapering and that we're starting to think about it? Or do you want us to put us aside? And my entire Fed view for the next three to six months is based on the tone of that commentary. That's what's really going to drive rates here. So what else would you ask him? Francis? Oh, Francis, me yeah. personally? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I have a whole list. I want to hear about paper talking. <laughs> I want to hear about employment versus inflation. Convince markets that you really do are doing average inflation targeting because they clearly don't view that. I'd also love to hear how he views short-term downside risks versus medium-term outlook improving. Now, the statement actually took out the words short-term and medium-term, which I think are very interesting. I think they just want to give themselves some optionality. But how is he thinking about just how bad the next two months can be versus how much better 12 months from now should be? That's also going to put some stuff in here. And of course, we got lots of news about the ECB not being very excited about market pricing on the possibility of rate cuts today. I think they're talking down the euro. You might get a question or two on USD. He won't answer it, but I'd probably ask it anyway. Yeah. If if I can, like, just to go on that, I think that near term and medium term is interesting because I think that goes to the point that 
you know, they're, they're trying to get away from needing to answer the question, like, when will we taper or when are we going to hike rates? Like, like the, that's something that they just want to get out of the vernacular. I agree with that, that idea. I, I don't think you can, though, because, because ultimately, like, if you're, if you're trading a five-year Treasury note, you have to have some kind of view on what short-term interest rates are going to be and going to average over the next five years. So, so, so the question is how, you know, they, he doesn't want to hand-tie themselves by saying, look, we're not hiking until at least 2023. Like, that would be the answer that would be as clear as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could always change that later. Like, if, if the facts change and the economy's growing like gangbusters at the end of the year, you can change it. But, but that would be a, a massive signal. He won't say it. But that ultimately is the only kind of thing I think you could say to avoid the market continuing to question when are they going to taper and, and then follow on, following on to that, when are they going to hike rates. And I should point out one of the headlines we had uh, earlier this morning, just after the open uh, in New York, ECB officials said to see markets underestimating the rate cut odds. Hey, one thing I want to just pose to both of you as well, uh, we got a great Bloomberg exclusive by uh, a team of reporters here at Bloomberg, and it talks about the amount of debt, $19.5 trillion of global debt that has been added as a result of COVID-19. We're talking about government debt, corporate debt, add it all up together. It's all been done to avoid some kind of deep and lasting depression uh, around the globe. Uh, Ira, let me ask you, we've had to do that. There's no doubt about it. And does that worry you at all, that amount of debt? Yeah, well, it, it worries me only insofar as what happens when interest rates eventually, assuming they do, eventually do go up, and mm-hmm. we have to have higher interest rates, and that becomes and interest payments become a much larger and larger part of the government's budget, right? Because the governments are getting more and more hand tied, and in the U.S., that's uh, that's true because of things like Medicare, Social Security. That only leaves a little tiny bit, basically, of the uh, total government expenditures um, to you know uh, basically. To, to be allocated to everything else. And the, the, the challenge then is if interest payments get bigger and bigger and bigger, that reduces the flexibility of what Congress can do in the future. Um, but, but to your point, I, I think it is something that had, had to be done and probably more needs to be done. Is $1.9 trillion the right number? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think you could maybe target, uh, you know, do a $900 billion, a trillion now, and then if you need to do more later, you could still do more later. So, Francis, uh, come on in here. Based on your own and modeling your own expectations, when is a realistic time to think that interest rates could foreseeably actually go up? Oh, I have the interest rate hike at 2024, but what I tell the teams I work with is, you know, what I'm way more interested in is how high can interest rates actually go when mm-hmm. we get to that normalization cycle. And my view is that exactly as Ira just laid out, because of high levels of debt, because these central banks are focused on issues beyond the traditional inflation mandate, they're probably not going very high. I think the terminal rate in the next hiking cycle is probably 2% or less. And for those of us who are long-term investors, it's not so much as it has second half of 2023 or first half of 2024. It's how high are these things going to go? I don't think very high. Right. And you do wonder its level as well as how quickly they get there. Um, folks, thank you so much. Francis Donald, she's global chief economist, head of macro strategy at Manulife Investment Management on the phone from Toronto. And our thanks to our own Ira Jer- Jersey. Actually, she was on the phone from Montreal. Ira Jersey, chief U.S. interest rate strategist uh, at Bloomberg Intelligence on the phone from New Jersey. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. 
So uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell, as you know, just uh, wrapping up that press conference, his uh, comments and his uh, presser just going shy of uh, 60 minutes long, but nonetheless pretty much getting as expected uh, among the headlines. Fed Chief Jay Powell making it clear the U.S. Central Bank was nowhere near exiting massive support for the economy during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and officials leaving their benchmark interest rate unchanged, near zero, flagging a moderating U.S. recovery. So let's get into it. Uh, back with us, Steve Skanky. He's Chief Economic Advisor over at Kill Point, former U.S. Treasury uh, and White House National Security Council staff member. He is based in Washington, but today we find him on the phone from Florida. Carl Riccadonna with us, Chief U.S. Economist at Bloomberg Economics on the phone in New Jersey. Carl, let me kick it off with you. Uh, what stands out for you, especially in that presser from Jay Powell? Well, good afternoon, Carol. Uh, we certainly saw some uh, big uh, market gyrations during the course of the uh, statement release and the uh, press conference, but I do have to think that this is maybe tied into uh, other factors uh, at play in a, a very volatile day for stocks. If we look at the uh, 10-year yields, for example, uh, really not much movement over the course of the uh, press conference. And so uh, the Fed here signaling that uh, there's some uh, moderation and deterioration uh, in the economy at the moment, but uh, they look at that as uh, kind of very concentrated in some very obvious pockets like restaurants, tourism, etc. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I would say there's a little bit of a silver lining to the statement here uh, that uh, because uh, when they asked uh, Jay Powell what's wrong, he didn't say everything. He said uh, some very certain pockets of the economy. Uh, that's actually a little bit of an optimistic uh, view that he sees a kind of K-shaped recovery where Certain sectors are really in the doldrums, but the rest of the economy is functioning uh, pretty well, all things considered. Yes, Steve Skanky, same question over to you. What stands out as far as initial impressions go from Powell's press conference? Well, I, I think a couple of things. Uh, uh, clearly, the, the inclusion of the language uh, uh, moderated, that the economic growth is moderated in recent months, and, and that reflects uh, lower consumer spending in, in November and December. But, but then... Uh, uh, they go on to include the language uh, progress on the vac- vaccinations. Uh, uh, clearly optimistic uh, uh, with uh, various parts of the economy being way more resilient than people had expected. Uh, he noted that at the end of his press conference that that was one of the things that had actually amazed him. Uh, uh, he was also very specific, though, about the, uh, uh, the, the importance of addressing unemployment uh, continuously and with uh, with full force. Uh, really uh, tried to take off the table uh, any notion that they were going to do anything to uh, to tighten up or taper anytime soon. Uh, you know, he pointed out that there's still 9 million people right. uh, 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 unemployed uh, from the pandemic, which was more than the total number of jobs lost in the great financial crisis uh, 12 years ago. Yeah, it really puts it in uh, perspective. It does. Well, and it's, you know, speaking to, I think what struck Tim and myself as well is Jay Powell, uh, I feel like early on and then, of course, later on and in, the, in his initial statement, just talking about he finished up saying we need to finish the job of defeating the pandemic. It came down to no surprise that unless we get this virus uh, under control and the vaccine rollout moving along more smoothly and more quickly, you know, that is going to be key in terms of, you know, as he said, the most important economic policy, that's it. You know, Carl, you guys are constantly looking at economic metrics, but I mean, it really does come down to that. You know, 
in terms of, or, or do you see it differently? If we don't get the vaccine out, if we don't get to kind of create confidence once again in the economy and let people start getting back to work, back to normal, uh, kind of all bets off. I agree 100%, Carol. Uh, uh, this is very clear to uh, Jay Powell. This is clear to Janet Yellen. This is clear to uh, President Biden uh, that getting the virus un- under control is the best economic policy so that other measures of stimulus, whether it's fiscal support uh, or very accommodative monetary policy from the Fed, uh, can actually uh, have their desired effects. And, you know, really it kind of summed it up uh, quite nicely towards the end of the press conference when Jay Powell said, uh, my my concern is tilted far more towards an incomplete economic recovery uh, that leaves uh, businesses uh, failing and uh, individuals who want to work not able to get back into the workplace. Uh, he's much more concerned about that outcome uh, than uh, possibly inflation running a little bit hot at some point uh, in the distant future. This tells you absolutely this is an accommodative Fed uh, that is nowhere near uh, the point of tapering or thinking about exit strategy. I'm wondering, Carl, why you why you think we saw a bit of a sell-off happening um, right now? Uh, S and P 500 down more than 2.3 percent, Dow down 2.1 percent. Why do we see that happen? Was it was it him saying I, there are considerable risks to the economic outlook? Like there were some pretty downtrodden comments. I feel like by Jay. I think that was consistent with what we heard from him uh, previously, and the tone of the statement, what was expressed at the December meeting when we didn't see these moves. So I, I do think there's a, a kind of idiosyncratic uh, stock story, right? If, if we were really trading off of comments from the Fed chair, you would see a, a similar reaction in the uh, Treasury market, which you don't see that kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. So that tells you maybe it's more of a microeconomic story. Uh, there were some headlines about uh, from Senator Warren uh, talking about the situation with GameStop and. Uh, uh, some Bitcoin headlines uh, also uh, during the uh, course of the press conference. So I think there were some other factors uh, that are are driving that equity market uh, sell-off. Well, if our equity market has become Bitcoin and GameStop, I'm then a lot (laughs) nervous. Um, Come on in, Steve. And and to that point, Carol. Yeah. No, really. Powell did say that, you know, he is focused on financial stability, but he does not see a need for the Fed to be acting based on one day's market moves or particular stocks. Uh, or, or uh, movements in in the financial markets. So right, it and it's poses some... a broader financial stability risk. Yes, the Fed will well, involve. Otherwise, they'll sit back and let the bubbles take care of themselves. Correct. Well, that's the question. Is this more than a, a one day or three day phenomenon? Go go ahead, Steve. Well, the uh, uh, the volatility in the stock market uh, is, as uh, Carl said, uh, sometimes just about specific things going on. Uh, but clearly, the, uh, uh, the the stock market has been driven over the last. Uh, three or four months in particular, by fiscal stimulus and uh, uh, the, the optimism surrounding uh, vaccinations and getting the uh, pandemic under control. Uh, and, and Chair Powell also pointed this out, that uh, it, it's not what the Fed is doing that drives the stock market as much as uh, what's happening on the, on the fiscal side of things and getting the, uh, money out into the economy. Uh, and... Uh, uh, they're just going to continue to focus on getting people back to work. Uh, I think that resonated uh, uh, very seriously uh, as to how much they are focused on that. Uh, people who've lost their jobs, who've left the labor force, uh, needing to uh, to make that a major effort. And that's where that's what the Fed is going to be looking at uh, and less concerned about these other things. Mm-hmm. He also pointed out that when it comes to inflation, they know how to they know how to curtail inflation. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, experience and policy tools to do that. But right now, it's to uh, uh, 
get people uh, spending and jobs uh, back in play. Listen, I thought one of the, the more interesting things, and I, I agree, like I think right now the market is just realizing any kind of further stimulus is going to take a while. We're still smack in the middle of a pandemic. There's some nervousness about variants. And again, I think to hear, I mean, we already saw nervousness at the get-go this morning, but I think then to have Jay Powell even say, you know, remind everybody that we are just tied to getting this under control. And until we do, there's a fair amount of uncertainties. Having said that, Carl, I thought it was interesting what he had to say about how we are moving towards a very different, or we're going to a very different economy, learning that things can be done from remote locations. These are his words, that technology can replace people. Uh, You know, it's interesting to ha- hear him really kind of come out and talk about that when we still have a lot of executives who are like, no, 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 nothing's going to change. We're going to get people back to work. I mean, it really does feel like we're going through a significant change in our economy right now, Carl. Well, Carol, there, there, there's two issues in, in what you just said. So one is uh, the uh, notion of technology allowing us to work remotely, uh, not have everyone uh, you know, centered in a headquarters somewhere. Uh, And that, I believe, is absolutely the case. In terms of technology supplanting labor, I mean, this is an ongoing story in in, in place since the uh, Industrial Revolution. Uh, But the issue is when labor costs are cheap, then the incentive to make those capital investments is relatively low. Uh, And so you tend to hire a lot of cheap labor rather than make expensive uh, investments in technology and whatnot. So I think the reality of the situation, given those stunning job loss numbers, which uh, Steve highlighted the, the, yeah. the headlines from uh, Jay Powell, we're still deep in the hole, which means there's tremendous labor slack out there. There will not be a lot of wage pressures, and therefore there's not going to be a tremendous incentive to uh, for a factory owner to uh, try to automate their assembly line, uh, given that uh, workers will not have much bargaining power amid such excessive slack. Well, and what's interesting, too, is, listen, um, the move towards technology and automation, if one country rejects it, another country is going to adopt it. And then that's going to certainly cement, to some extent, your place in the global economy. Steve, how do you see it, those comments that we heard from Jay Powell about we're going to a very different economy? It's like I kind of want to get a T-shirt and just (laughs) bold and put it on it because I think that's pretty significant to hear the Fed chief say that. Well, it, it is, and, and his acknowledgement of that is extraordinary. Uh, his comment about uh, uh, being so surprised uh, how technology has allowed us to uh, to really carry on in many cases, or in most cases, except for uh, those who have to be in some place to uh, to do their job. Uh, when when we look forward, uh, you know, the great risk to the U.S. being uh, eclipsed by. Uh, uh, China's economic growth sooner mm-hmm. rather than later is going to be in technology. And if we just look at things like artificial intelligence, the ability to uh, augment uh, labor capacity. I mean, China's population is is so much greater than ours, it's only a matter of time as their productivity catches up right. uh, that their economy uh, eclipses ours. Right. Uh, That's just pure math, right, in terms of more people and being more productive, that it's going to pay off in economic growth. It is, and the United States' opportunity is to continue leading the area of technology. Right. And whatever the Biden initiatives for Buy America, bringing jobs home, building good jobs at home, it also depends on infrastructure spending that gives us a technology boost in areas that will be dominant over the next several decades. And that'll be a big surprise, I think, too, as we see that play out in a very positive way. 
Yeah, good point. Uh, and we're going to leave it on that note. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Steve, be well. Steve Skanke, Chief Economic Advisor over at Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury uh, official, also White House National Security Council staff member. Steve is based in Washington, D.C., on the phone in Florida today. And, of course, our thanks to our own Bloomberg Economics Chief U.S. Economist, Carl Riccadonna. He on the phone in New Jersey. I'm driving in my car. I'll turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close. And with us is Dave Ellison. He's portfolio manager over at Hennessy Funds. They've got roughly $3.5 billion in assets under management. Uh, he's involved in managing the large cap and small cap financial funds. That large cap financial fund beating most of its peers over the past five years, returning on average nearly 16%. Small cap fund mm, having a tougher time over the past five years, but beating most of its peers so far this year. Let's get into it. Dave with us on the phone from Boston. Uh, Dave, nice to have you here with us. I'm feeling like where do I, I feel like I'm playing a game show. Do I want to start with the Fed? Do I want to start with GameStop? Do I want to start with tech news? Um, where shall we begin? What's on your mind? Oh, I guess you could talk about all of it. I, I sort of funny with the GameStop, you know, and, and that type of thing that's happening in the marketplace. I guess we got to remind ourselves that it was, I don't know, not that long ago that oil was trading <laughs> at a negative number. And that, and that didn't seem to set all the alarm bells off. Now, all of a sudden, we got, you know, eight or 10 stocks that are in a short squeeze, and the hedge funds are calling for regulation, which is the very thing that they don't have, which is why they can operate as well or, or at least as, as easily as they do. So it's amazing. When things go against you, you want regulation. When it's going with you, you, don't, you want to be left alone. So uh, tough luck. That's the market. <laughs> what did you, what, you know, it was so interesting uh, to hear two of the first three questioners in this Fed, in the, in the press conference with Fed Chair Powell, they asked about GameStop. What do you make of that? I mean, obviously there's so much interest around it. Well, that's, you know, that's what people are watching. Yeah. Uh, you know, they care about that and maybe Tesla, you know, again, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's a baker's dozen market, right? There's, <laughs> there's. 12 companies that are running the whole economy and the Fed's carrying the rest. And we just happen to have a situation now where the little guy's gotten big enough and maybe got on, you know, on the Internet enough to be able to do a flash mob against a short. And now all of a sudden it becomes a big, a big issue for the Fed, um, you know, and other things. I mean, that's just that's the reality of having a lot of money sloshing around the system. Right. If if I have one comment to make about the bank earnings this mm -hmm. quarter, is that I've I've never seen a situation where loan demand is basically negative, and deposit flows are out the, off the charts. You know, so you see these banks where they've got a thirty percent growth in deposits year over year, and loans are down five percent, and of course the deposits they're paying you know thirty basis points. Who cares? Right. So they're offering no value to the customer at 30 basis points, but yet the money's gushing in. 
So well, there well, is let me ask you something, because anecdotally, and I've talked to people who've reached out to banks and things, whether it's to refinance and stuff. I mean, the banks are being really tough with with lending right now. Is that how they should be considering, you know, we're 10 years out from the financial crisis and we had some pretty sloppy lending back then? Or are they being too cautious in your view? Well, I, I would say that the, the banks, from a regulatory point of view, are being put into a situation where they don't, they, they're not allowed to take the kind of risk that they used to. Now, putting that aside, the second issue would be with a 30-year or 15-year mortgage at 260 or 280 or 290, I wouldn't make that loan either. Hmm. And, and thirdly... Yeah. The banks are worried about keeping their credit clean, keeping the, the liquidity high so they can raise their dividends and do big buybacks. Because there's nothing else to do. Because if they go out and make a lot of risky loans, the Fed's going to say, no buybacks, you've got to cut your dividends, and we need new management. Hey, Dave, I know that you um, see that fintech has appears to have the most runway space for growth. Uh, those are your words, thanks to our producer uh, who got us these notes. Um, yep. Fintech. PayPal, Square, Visa. Uh, why are those exciting names for you? Well, I, again, I think if there's a difference. There is, if you're a bank and you're making loans and taking deposits, the Fed controls the whole pricing structure. And they reiterated that today. If you're a PayPal, and we can argue that may be overvalued or undervalued, but let's, let's assume that we're not worried about that right now. There's a business that's less regulated, that is gaining customers, that controls their pricing, at least for now. There isn't the regulatory overhang. There isn't a liquidity issue. They don't need to buy back stock to justify their existence. They're not overemployed, and they're not stuck in, a, in an industry that, again, is controlled by the central bank, which only really cares about inflation and employment. Hmm. Yeah, listen, not all... Not all, te- not all financials, obviously, <laughs> alike. And I can kind of get, you know, in terms of your play. So you do like PayPal, you like Square, but you do like a couple of the big banks, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. Uh, I mean, Wells Fargo seems to own the mortgage market <laughs> uh, in many ways, but they're also working out some of their difficulties that um, certainly the new CEO has inherited from the past uh, regime. But just quickly got about mm, 50 seconds here. What are you thinking in terms of your investments here? Well, again, with the big banks, uh, you know, I, I gave you J.P. Morgan because they seem to be the best run and they have the ability to hopefully make investments and stay competitive and stay relevant. And that's the challenge here, staying relevant. All right? Let, you know, th- these guys yeah. are blockbuster headed if they don't get their act together. All right, we're going to leave it Fargo oh. is, Yeah, go ahead. Wells Fargo is the worst company out there. And they're a blockbuster trying not Mm. to be, you know, so they need to get their act together. I think I say to people, Goldman needs to buy Wells Fargo or they need to buy uh, uh, Lehman or, you know, or Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Lehman's already gone. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's an interesting and provocative play. Wells Fargo was down about 44% last year and is pretty flat this year and still working through some things. Hey, good stuff. Uh, Thank you so much. Dave Ellison. Portfolio manager at Hennessy Funds. They've got $3.5 billion in assets under management. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.